little rocket like we're never gonna see it again We are exploding, the world is gonna know it We're rocket like you're never gonna see us again Pure Gold live on the air for this Thursday night, February 16th, 2012. Welcome to the show that covers everything and anything It tells it like it is. My name is Joe Buccino, along with my tag team partner and co-host, David Gomez. Sir, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, sir. Uh, a little under the weather, but ready to get this Pure Gold show on the road. Yep, we have, we're doing a Thursday night show because Tuesday was Valentine's Day. No pun intended for Jeremy Lin. Right. Uh, anyway, the contact information, folks, as always, if you'd like to be a part of the show, give us a call, 714-364-4721. Once again, that is 714-364-4721. Um, as always, you can check out our website, the wonderful website, uh, puregoldpg.com. Or, of course, you can check out all of our past interviews, the other 49 interviews that we've done, sir, because today we're going to have 50 and 51 um, you can check out our Twitter. Joe and I both have separate accounts. You can check out our YouTube. You can check out our Facebook. You can do all that to be a part of the show and to follow the greatest show on earth, sir. Thank you, sir. As we transition away from football, the football season is officially over. The New York Giants are Super Bowl champions. It's only fitting that we start to talk about baseball, sir. You are absolutely right. <clears throat> Folks, it is our honor and it is our privilege to be joined by... 2011 New York Mets draft pick. He was picked number 44 overall in the draft. The one and only Mr. Michael Fulmer. Michael, how are you doing, sir? Doing well, guys. How are you? Doing hey, great. Doing great. We appreciate you giving us a few minutes here. So, Michael, let's start at the beginning. Let me ask you this. This is something that I've always been curious about. A professional athlete, you hear so many different stories. You have you always loved baseball, or were you one of those guys who basically uh, fell into baseball because you were better at it than any other sport? No, I, I grew up uh, playing baseball, basketball, a little bit of soccer, but uh, high school played a little bit of basketball, um, always baseball, and I just the love for the game of baseball for me was just a lot higher than any other sport, and uh, it was always my dream to play uh, pro baseball. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. You know, like like I said, sometimes you hear different athletes, some guys uh, get into football because, you know, the money is there, the signing bonus or whatever the case is. So it's nice to see that somebody like yourself is really uh, a big fan, of course, big fan of, uh, of of the game. Baseball is my favorite sport, so that's always exciting. Now, let me ask you this, sir. Uh, you had some success in high school. In your senior year, you went 10-2, and .72 ERA. I mean, you had 127 strikeouts and 68 innings for Deer Creek. Tell us a little bit about that season. Well, we had a uh, we had a lot of uh, senior guys the year before us kind of go off to college. A lot of guys graduated and stuff, so we had a, pretty much a brand new team. And um, I had to step in and play a little bit third base. Um, you know, right. when I wasn't pitching, and I think that made me better as a pitcher, especially on the mound. Um, kind of working out a little bit harder as a position player and a hitter. Right. And uh, I think overall being more athletic on the mound really helped up um, my senior year as far as uh, stamina and, and composure and stuff like that. You know, one thing I love about you, because I actually saw some videos on you, you hitting the ball, pitching and whatnot, the fact that you can hit, and you just touched on that, you know, having to play different positions. Let me ask you, 
this is something that I've, I've never understood, but why is it that nationally pitchers don't make more of an effort to practice hitting? Because there's so many times you watch these games and you see pitchers have the chance to help themselves, help the team, but most of them are, are horrific hitters. I know you got to spend a lot of time you know, practicing and whatnot, but why do you think it is that pitchers don't focus at all on hitting, uh, unlike someone like yourself who actually can uh, you know, handle himself with a bat? Well, I think it's just, uh, I mean, pitchers concentrate on one thing, and that's to go up, go up there, shut the ball in the zone, and put zeros on the scoreboard for the other team. And if you put zeros up there on the scoreboard, um, you don't have to worry about hitting. But when your spot <laughs> in the lineup does come up as a National League hitter, um, when you're pitching, is if there's a guy on base, you know, be a productive out, bunt him over. Um, you know your roles, and you got eight other guys in that lineup that, you know, um, on that team that are very outstanding hitters, and uh, hopefully they uh, most of the time will get the job done for you. Now, Mike, you you mentioned you know getting people out. What would you say your bread and butter pitches? Uh, it's got to be the fastball. Um, I like to command the the four seam fastball and the two seam. You know, always can get better at it each and every day. Um, never really satisfied with it, but um, I'd have to say the the both four seam and two seam fastball are the both parts of the plate is what I like to why I like to throw the most. And is there any uh, pitch that you're working on in the off um, during spring training? Like, are you trying to work on, usually with a good fastball pitcher, you know, if you have a great changeup, you could be lethal. Um, are you working on any new pitches in the offseason? Uh, this this offseason I've uh, been working on a changeup. haven't really had one in high school. Um, wouldn't say I didn't need it or anything, but it just uh, just never really showed up there. And in this offseason I've gotten a little circle change down and, it's looking. It looks. It looks. It's looking fairly good right now. That's cool. Um, I also see here that you know, speaking of high school, you also won the Player of the Year in your home state of Oklahoma. Can you tell uh, the PG fans about that? Yeah, it was. Uh, I had the award ceremony the other day. Actually, uh, it's a. It's an honor to be that. Uh, be picked by the coaches of Oklahoma, and that just shows me that. Um, you know, it's not all about you know talent, athletic ability on the mound because I guarantee you there are better players in Oklahoma. But as far as off the field um, commitment to the game and and overall mentality of the game is just it's it's an honor to uh, be recognized for that. Yeah, I thought you had uh, tweeted about it, which of course is why I first found you on Twitter. And folks, we're talking to uh, Michael Fulmer. He was the 44th overall pick in the 2011 draft. Of course, the second man picked by the Mets in the in that first round. Uh, Michael, you committed along with the other Mets pick, interestingly enough, who's Brad Nemo. You both committed to Arkansas for college, but of course you ended up signing with the Mets after they selected you in the uh, supplemental part of the first round. Now, let me ask, why did you choose to go pro instead of, let's say, going to college and developing a bit more? I think uh, I think mentally and maturity-wise I was ready uh, to step it up to the professional level, and uh, it's always been a dream of mine, and I think um, that I can go out there and compete every single day with the other high school pitchers and even college pitchers out there, and I think I was just, it was just my time and I was ready. Uh, that's pretty interesting because so many guys, you know, I mean, in the NBA, of course, they force you now to go to college for a year. And, um, you know, baseball, of course, a lot of guys get out of college and high school and whatnot. But let me let me ask you this. Uh, were you surprised that you were chosen by the Mets? I know that uh, Paul DePodesta is one of the VPs for the team. Uh, you know, I was checking this out earlier, earlier, uh, you know, in preparing for the interview. 
he spoke quite highly of you. You know, he actually said that the reason the Mets chose you, you were the guy they targeted the whole time. They really wanted you as a pick. They said that Michael Fulham, other than, of course, Brad Nemo, who, who was their first pick, but they picked him first because they knew that they were going to shoot for a pitcher right after that, which was you. You were their target guy. Now, when you hear something like that or when you're informed of something like that, you know, how did that make you feel? And, of course, how did you feel when the Mets specifically chose you? Uh, to hear that news, uh, it, felt, it felt great. I'm glad they, uh, you know, they were the one team or one of the teams that targeted me from the very beginning. And honestly, I'm, I'm glad that uh, since they spent so much time and think so highly, I'm glad they got me because I think in this organization I can definitely, you know, proceed with my, my future career and get better each and every day by this coaching staff. And all the guys I met look like it sound like all the guys uh, that can help me. Well, now, Mike, now, now that you're officially part of the Mets organization, have you heard anything about, like, before you came on or now that you've come on, have you heard about any of the financial problems that the Mets have had of recent, you know, recently? No, I haven't really heard anything of it. You know, there's always the news reports and stuff, but, you know, they haven't they haven't talked anything specific like that. I think we're okay. Good. Uh, I mean, us as fans here are pretty bummed the fact that, you know, with the Wilpons having some financial difficulties uh, and their payroll not being – as what you know, what we consider a competitive payroll to actually compete for a championship title, we're kind of bummed about it. Is there any upside that you could give us fans that you know what, what could we look forward to this to this year for the Mets? Well, the the big league clubs are always going to put their best guys out there, the most mature guys, the most guys ready for it. And I think that the big league club will have no problems this year. I think they're do. Uh, I've met some of the guys and all great guys and great athletes and great baseball players. And I think uh, it's coming soon. And the minor league system is uh, is building up. We got a, a, a lot of good prospects. Guys I've played with, you know, are, are blowing me away with some stuff that they have and the stuff they have to say and their men- mentality of the game and stuff like that. But um, I think the Mets are gonna um, this year are gonna do pretty well. Good. Twofold question for you, Mike. Um, who so far in the Mets organization has impressed you the most that you've met? And was there anybody you you grew up uh, looking up to or idolizing in terms of uh, pitching or even you know position players in baseball? Well, I've, I mean, I've only been I've been down in Florida for about a month, maybe a month and a half, uh, playing ball, and haven't really got to meet a whole lot of guys. Um, I actually got to room with um, Zach Wheeler for a few days when he came down from the Giants. Um, right. Got to talking to him a little bit, and uh, he was on that high A squad. I was on the GCL. And uh, you know, got to watch him pitch, and got to talk to him for a few days. And he's he's a he's one of the great guys, and he he kind of taught me a little bit of um, you know what the 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 high pressure situations are like, and what's the kind of feeling in that, and and kind of mental stuff of the game. And then uh, also Brandon Nemo, um, you know, looking looking forward to uh, playing with him. He had he played center for a little bit when I was pitching, and you know, you gotta love having a guy out there that can run down balls and. And do it with a bat, also. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, as I mentioned earlier, he was the first pick in the draft for the Mets, and the Mets—he's highly touted, obviously. As are you. You talked about Zach Wheeler, who you know we got for Carlos Beltran, and I know as Mets fans, we were, I, Joe and I are both weren't expecting the Mets to get much for Carlos, being that he, you know, end of his contract and and whatnot. But I mean, they got a great prospect, and of course, Zach and and Matt Harvey are two of the guys that, that the Mets fans are expecting up in a couple of years. Hopefully we'll we'll be able to count on you as well, and you'll be you know part of that rotation, that young you know power rotation. You mentioned mental toughness. 
Now, do you believe that you have the mental toughness to play here in New York City? Because, uh, you know, there's so many guys, all-star caliber guys who've crumbled in New York. Something like Roberto Alomar, I remember when the Mets got him. And, you know, I'm talking, I've been a Mets fan since I was five, since I can remember. I've never liked any other team. I, I can never like another team. But Roberto Alomar was a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. He came here, and he wilted like a leaf. Now, do you believe you have the mental toughness to be successful here in the great state of New York? I I believe so, yes. Um, I'm only 18 years old, and I am mature for my age, and as far as body-wise and mental mentally-wise. And, you know, I, I, I always want to go up to New York um, and just kind of see what, uh, what what it's like to play there. Never played there before, never been up there. Um but I'm I'm really looking forward to whether it be the Brooklyn short season team or in the future double A, the triple A or the bigs. And I'm looking forward to playing there. I haven't played there very much. You know, we talked to a few fans on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that. The social network, um, all seem like great fans and I hope I don't uh I'll do all I can not to let them down. That's good stuff. Now, Mike, yeah, I, I know we have you on today, uh, and unfortunately we, ha- we heard as Mets fans and maybe just all baseball fans the unfortunate news of the uh, the death of Gary Carter. Now, did did you hear, have you heard, ever heard of, I mean, you're young, that's why I'm asking, I don't want to insult you or anything, but have you heard of Gary Carter? Did did anybody mention to you that, you know, he had passed away today? Yeah, my father actually, uh, we were just talking downstairs before this, and he mentioned that uh, he had passed, and uh, yeah, I I, I I knew who I know who Gary Carter was. Um, you know, grew up watching him a little bit, and and um, and that's a sad, sad story to hear that. Definitely yeah. a sad story. I mean, I remember '86. I mean, that was obviously the last, last Mets championship, and uh, Gary Carter was just uh, not only a good baseball player, but just a great human being, from what you know I've read. And you know, I don't know him personally, but just a tragic loss for the Mets organization, and uh, hopefully, um, you know. He's now resting in peace because he was, uh, you know, dealing with um, the the brain cancer for a while. But um, I definitely want to wish you luck, uh, Mike Fulmer, in you know your future, and uh, hopefully, you know, you're up and coming, and you know, you're the future Mets ace in a couple of years. Well, I appreciate that, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Mike. Before we let you go, can you t- let the fans know you mentioned the social media? Uh, how can they keep in touch with you and follow your career? Um, my Twitter page at mfulmer12. Um, you know, hey, uh, let me know how you feel. Uh, I'll try my best to uh, give you a, a tweet back or or uh, come talk to you. And if you're anybody down there for spring training, don't be afraid to come up to me. Uh, you know, talk to me. People. I I love I love to talk baseball. Love to talk anything. Yeah. I can hold a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baseball is definitely uh, exciting, and like they say, hope springs eternal, and hopefully that'll be the case for the Mets. Michael, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to some big things from you in the future, sir. Thank you for having me, guys. Thanks, Have Mike. a good one. You too. Folks, that was future New York Met ace Michael Fulmer. Don't want to put too much pressure on him, sir, but uh, you know he definitely has a good head on his shoulders. Young guy. Um, you know, only 18, and of course, Gary Carter was a little bit before his time, but, you know, sir, he definitely has a good head on his shoulders, and I'm looking forward to see, to following the progress, you know, because, let, let's, be, let's be real, sir, that's what we have to look forward to with this team, it's the, it's the guys who are up and coming, the Zach Wheelers, the Matt Harveys, the Uris Familia, you know, the, the pitching staff, and then, of course, Michael Fulmer, who, you know, probably is, is a couple years away from being up in the big leagues. Yeah, you're definitely right about that, I mean, 
you, um, I was looking at the notes that you had provided me, uh, um, Mr. Fulmer, and um, again, 97 mile an hour fastball is is really impressive. And obviously, he's 18, and um, he'll I think he'll he'll get his arms even stronger. But if he does work on that changeup, or even potentially like a curveball, I mean, another I mean, I think of Dwight Gooden with that awesome Uncle Charlie curveball. But if he could work on a changeup, he's gonna get a lot of strikeouts in the majors. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the thing. I mean, I've read that he can hit nineties uh, in the mid nineties, uh, but he's really like the lower nineties typically. But you know, if a guy can, if he can bust out that ninety-seven, ninety-six mile an hour fastball, so that is that's the kind of heat that'll get you noticed in the big leagues. And again, I mean, he can hit, which I love about him. So I love the fact that this guy, if if you put him, if you put a bat in his hands, he's going to be able to get some hits and do something. And I understand what he's saying. Uh, obviously, that a pitcher is going to focus on pitching. But, Joe, how many times have you seen, how many times have you gotten frustrated watching baseball and you see these guys who look like they don't even belong in the professionals holding a bat in their hand like like a, like a little kid, like like when you first teach a kid how to hit. I mean, you know, can't make contact, can't do anything. And there's so many opportunities, especially, you know, watching the Mets, where the pitchers can knock in a single, a double, you know, something like that. That's why guys like Dwight Gooder are such a blessing because Doc can knock the ball out of the park. You know, Johan Santana can hit a nice bomb. Most guys... Are a joke though. I mean, most guys are just terrible at the plate. Yeah, sometimes they just, you know, like Mike was saying, they sometimes they just care about pitching because that's what they're they're there to do. But sometimes, sir, uh, I get more frustrated not about the fact that the the pitcher can't get hit. Sometimes I get frustrated that a a pitcher can't put down a bunt. More importantly, oh, that's the worst. Can't even move the guys over. You know, like I said when when Matt uh, Matt excuse me when Michael was with us, I was watching some footage and I mean he he hit a, a a bomb to right center field, sir, you know, in the game that I was watching. You know, and this guy can handle himself, so I look forward to a lot of things from him in the future, as I mentioned earlier. And, you know, Michael Fulmer is a guy that I'm going to be watching. Of course, we're, we're really glad that he was able to come on, sir. I actually can't believe it took us this long to get a pro baseball player on. That, to me, is just is amazing. It's only fitting that our 50th guest in the history of this show would be a, a baseball player and, of course, one of the Mets, sir. Well, you're right. I mean, it took a while for us to get a baseball player, but we did, and hopefully – you know, Mike becomes nice, you know, becomes famous because, you know, he's the Mets uh, ace and he, you know, he's a 20 game winner. He's a Cy Young winner. He goes on to fit, fortune and fame and then he just plugs pure gold here and there. That's all we could ask. Oh, of course. Sir, why, why stop at 20? Why not 30? He could be the first 30 game winner since what, uh, Dizzy Dean? And I also love the fact that you're a nickname basis with him, by the way, Mike. I mean, I didn't know you guys were pals like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, me and Mike Fulmer. What, what can I tell you? I mean, I could call him Mr. Fulmer if that's, if oh, that's of course. better. I mean, you, you could. You know, the reason I asked him about the whole New York media thing is because, I mean, where he's from, he's not he's an Oklahoma guy, much like our Oklahoma girl, uh, Morgan Woolard. Um, you know, of course, somebody from from out there in the Midwest, and it's not, it, it's a totally different environment. You know, it's a much slower pace to life, and to have it here, these guys crumble. Mike sounds like he's, as you would call him, Mike, Mr. Fulmer, sounds like he really has a great head on his shoulders. And uh, like I said, I look forward to so much from this Mets team in terms of that young talent. Because as a fan, I'm thinking the Mets are going to lose 80 or 90 games this year, sir. I don't know about you, but, but well, at least 80. They're going to have a losing record unless everything breaks right. But, uh, you know, maybe 2014, you know, after this year, a year or two, maybe the Mets will all be in contention, sir, because that young pitching will carry them through. Yep, if you if you believe in our general manager, I mean, you, you think that he has a plan. 
I mean, it's it, it, you can't turn this ship around in one year, sir. It's going to take two or three years, and we have to be patient. I know that it's hard to hear that as Mets fans because, you know, how how much more patient can you get if you haven't won a title since 86? But I think that the ship is now heading in the right direction finally. Go ahead. I was I was five when the Mets lost one world title, and I know that you talk about this with uh, with with our other teams. But um, I mean, you, you talk about our you talk about our general manager. Let's talk about him for a second, sir. What what's up, what's up with this Sandy Alderson at Mets GM nonsense? The stuff that he's tweeting. Uh, you know, I heard him talking to Mike Francis the other day, talking about how the Mets fans have a sense of humor. I don't see. First of all, he hasn't been here long enough to know anything about the Mets fans. And second of all, how is he going to say the Mets fans have a sense of humor? We don't have a sense of humor, sir. We absolutely do not. Our team is in such disarray that there is no sense of humor. There, there, there's nothing to joke about. We're looking at this team, and we're hoping they don't lose 100 games. <laughs> you know, you're right. Sandy Olsen, I mean, you might be able to – you might have a plan in terms of the Mets organization, but come on. It's, it's not that uh, – we have we're we're um you know we're not laughing with you we're laughing at you sometimes <laughs> and I don't think Sandy actually gets that you know this is the same guy he I I don't think he does get it you know and and the truth is that I do think that he has a plan I do think that he's a capable baseball man I just don't think he knows anything about New York <clears throat> evidenced by the fact that you know this guy was talking about oh I didn't come here to operate the the Pittsburgh the Oakland A's. No, I'm sorry. You came here to operate the Pittsburgh Pirates. What I want to know is when did I when did I move to Pittsburgh? I mean, the, the team, the money, the lack thereof. Talking about you know we're going to do this and maybe we can do this and there might be some money up. It it seems like this is the Pittsburgh Pirates. And truthfully, we've talked about this and, and you know of course we never wish misfortune on anyone. But we're hoping that the Wolfpons end up selling because that's the only way this team is going to end up uh, doing anything, sir. The only team, the only way they're going to get out of this mess that they're in. Well, Mad Dog, during, I don't know if you remember, but during Super Bowl week, he came on Mike's show, and he actually talked about how um, the Wilpons are killing the fan base by, you know, basically keeping this team. I mean, even if you're uh, totally innocent of all the, the you know, the things that you're being accused of, you, you should sell the team only for the fact that, you know, this team now doesn't trust you anymore, or this fan base doesn't trust you anymore, sir. I don't know when to believe the Mets anymore because they've lied way too many times to us. And that, that to right. me, once you've, once you've lied to us, then you can never get um, the Mets totally back into it. You, you need to sell the team. You're right. I 100% agree with you. I think that they do need to sell the team. And, you know, these minority shares that people might be buying are not going to do it. Uh, the truth is the ballpark's going to be empty after opening day. It's going to be a graveyard. I know that we've talked about this. But when you look at this team from top to bottom, I mean, I haven't even heard of half of these guys, whether it's the starting rotation. Or, well, the starting rotation I kind of know, but whether it's the infield, the outfield, the extra guys, the 40-man roster. I mean, you look at these guys, who, who, who the heck has ever heard of half of these guys? You know, they're minor leaguers or, or no-name guys, and there's not a lot of talent. And, yeah, we talk about the dimensions and everything, and there was an article today in the paper that the Mets, they're starting to move the dimensions, and now uh, you look at the construction of the wall and everything. I mean, left field, left uh, straightaway left, it went from 371 to 358. That should help some of the guys like Jason Bay. Of course, right center, which is where David Wright mostly hits the ball. That's where his true power is. It went from a ridiculous 415 to 398. So I think just that alone will probably give David five to ten more home runs because that is his power alley. I don't, I don't even know what the Mets were thinking when they made this stadium. And, again, we, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but, you know, of course the walls are going down from 16 feet to 8 feet. I think that that's going to help the Mets generate offense. 
you know, the Mets are the third worst park in terms of uh, home runs that were hit, and uh, it was like 1.3 per game or something to that effect. And, you know, truthfully, this is going to help the Jason Bays and the David Wrights of the world, and I'm hoping that Wright will go back to hitting 30 to 35 homers. I don't see why he won't if he's healthy. Uh, and, of course, Jason Bay, who's been a total bust, I'm hoping that he'll be able to do something there. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope he does enough just to get traded, to be honest with you. If this oh, team is about, you know, if this is a team that's going to be uh, contending in two or three years, hopefully Jason Bay is hitting 300, has like 15 to 20 home runs at the at the All-Star break, and whoever needs, a, you know, a left fielder that obviously can't produce in New York, um, you know, take him because we just, I think the, the experiment has failed miserably with Jason Bay. I think it's time for him to go, and hopefully he does produce to, so we could get something back in return. You're right, and and that is the hope that we have that Jason Bay is going to turn around. Jason Bay, what do you say? <laughs> but sir, um, you know, l- let's talk a, a bit about some other things going on here with the Mets. And you talked about the unfortunate and absolutely unfortunate passing of uh, of Gary Carter, sir. Uh, you know, you, you got a couple years on me, not too many, but give me your thoughts on the the say the say hey. Well, not to say, hey, kid, I'm thinking of Willie Mays, but give me your thoughts on the Mets kid there. I mean, when when I think of Gary, I mean, when I think of 1986, because I still remember that World Series, uh, the, just the whole season I remember, actually, I just think of my favorite Met, which was Gary Carter, number eight. Um, I think of that permed hair that he had. I, I even think about the commercial. I mean, I don't even know if you know that he had this commercial with ivory soap where he would take a shower and then he would actually um, <laughs> hug his two his two daughters on the field. Do you remember that kind of commercial or you don't remember? No, I, I probably heard or seen of it, uh, but I don't. I don't remember it. So I, I remember I was only five uh, during 1986. And just you know that smile could light up a, a whole clubhouse. I mean, I think Gary Carter was like the heart of that team. Um, everyone else, you know, I kind of believe that were were doing like you know the partying, the the drugs, and all that good stuff. I I think everybody was. I don't think Gary Carter was, believe it or not. I think that he was a, a stand kind of guy. I remember him getting a game-winning hit in the NLCS against the Astros. I remember, right. you know, you know, pitcher perfect, sir. I remember Jesse Orozco throwing that final pitch to Marty Barrett and Gary Carter throwing his mitt up in the air and then, like, you know, that big swarm. I mean, Gary Carter was my favorite Met, like I said, in 86, and he's, uh, it's just uh, so sad that he's gone. And um, the only thing I can say is now, now that he's at peace and he doesn't have to deal with this brain cancer anymore, uh, but yeah. will sorely be missed by me, and I'm sure with all the Mets fans and the, and the entire organization. Oh, of course. I mean, Gary was only 57. He died very young, and I mean, the good thing uh, uh, it brings comfort, at least, is that you know he was a Christian man. You know, he'd accepted the Lord. His daughter uh, wrote something online, and Mike read it verbatim. And that type of stuff is nice because you know Gary is in a better place. People always say when other people die, oh, you know, rest in peace, rest in peace. You know, as opposed to some off-the-air comments that you and I have made that I won't mention on the air. But, you know, you know Gary is in a better place and he's no longer suffering. And that, to me, is comforting because people say things like that about everybody. It could have been a murderer. It could have been a drug dealer. It could have been the worst person on the planet. Oh, you know, rest in peace. But, you know, it is what it is. And uh, and it's unfortunate that Gary died. And he's such a young man. I, I can't think of – and, you know, sir, this, this hit me hard because I remember hearing so much about Gary Carter and watching him. You know, my first memories of the Mets were with him on the team – and I remember all that, sir. Mike talked about how he hit two homers in the 86 World Series. He had nine RBI, which is an impressive amount. You know, he was a clutch hitter. 
Um, just just an all-time great man, one of the greatest. I'm, I'm going to go on, on a limb here and figure that the Mets will retire his number, um, you know, at, at some point because, you know, of who he was, the fact that he unfortunately passed away. But, you know, Gary Gary harkens back to an era where the Mets were, were a contending team, where the Mets were a good team, where the Mets were could have been a dynasty. Unfortunately, the drug use did derail them. But, you know, he was a leader. He was, a, he was not a follower. He was the type of guy who stood out. He was, you know, Hall of Famer, no doubt. It, you know, I know he would. He actually said, uh, I believe, in interviews, he would have wanted to be be a Met when he went into the Hall of Fame. But that was the first year that baseball took the option away from the player of picking who, who, uh, you know, what team that they represented. Because I remember when, uh, for example, Wade Boggs went in, he, you know, basically the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time paid him off so that he could go in as a Devil Ray. So they didn't want that happening anymore. So now they they were able to take that away. Of course, he's the greatest catcher in Met history, except for maybe Mr. Uh, Mike Piazza, who hopefully one day soon will be in the, the Hall of Fame as a New York Met. But, sir, it's definitely sad, and it hit me hard. And, you know, I got a little misty-eyed, I have to admit. Although I didn't know Gary Carter personally, like I told my wife, um, you feel like you know the players. Sports, the type of thing where you grew up rooting for a team, and, you know, again, no matter what, I'll never be anything other than a Mets fan. I know I may not seem like one sometimes with the negativity, but... I'm just a bitter fan uh, with everything going on with the Will Ponzi's and all the uh, scams and everything, sir. But, you know, to finish up this little rant, uh, it's just sad because you you feel like they're a part of your family. You feel like you know them, you see them, you watch them, and you spend time with them. You know, you dedicate your life to watching these teams. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've been a Mets fan since, like I said, since I was a kid, since I could remember. And it's just nothing compares to, to baseball to me. But uh, it's just, just sad, sir, absolutely sad. And, and it really hit me hard, I have to admit, sir. Yeah, it's it's definitely sad. And um, you you mentioned a couple of things I just wanted to touch on real fast. Is that um, Gary Carter? I mean, I I thought you were gonna I, I was gonna pose this argument. I thought you were gonna like hang up or just mute my mic. But I, I'll actually tell you and argue with you unless you agree with me that I think Gary Carter was the best catcher in Mets history only because Mike Piazza totally sucked defensively. Uh, Gary Carter was a really good <laughs> offensive Overall, player. Yeah. But you're right, he was a you're really right. good he, defensive overall, catcher yeah. too. He knew how to block the plate. He knew how to. Three times he knew how to catch. Winners, yeah. So Gary Carter and I, I, I could imitate his stance. I, I, I could still see that stance with I the back. I could see it in my know. head. Yeah. Yep. yep. So Gary Carter will definitely be missed. Uh, and him and he, him and Keith Hernandez were like the leaders of that that team yes. in '86. You know, they, the other guys may have like been doing whatever they wanted to do, but Gary Carter and Keith Hernandez keep, kept those guys in check while they played baseball yep. on the field. It did. You're right. And Keith got into some other stuff off the field, but Gary didn't. And yeah, you're right. Overall, Gary is the best catcher in Met history. But of course, when you look at offensively, Piazza was the best, and he did spend longer with the Mets than uh, than Mr. Carter did. And you could legitimately make a case that Piazza should be a Met when he goes into the Hall of Fame. But you know, I just wanted to give a special shout out to one of our uh, pure goal listeners, uh, Leslie, who is listening on the lovely island of Puerto Rico. I know she's a Enormous Ruben Tejada fan. I actually think she's either secretly related to him or, you know, uh, his his, his uh, wife or something like that. You know, she's in love with Ruben Tejada, so I just wanted to throw that out there. I know, you know, uh, as a fan, like I said, uh, I'm hoping Tejada will be good. I'm hoping he'll have a, a good year and he'll be able to do something, sir. But uh, I don't know. I'm not feeling confident. You know, like I said, you harken back to the days of Gary Carter and, and uh, Keith Hernandez and Mookie Wilson. I spoke to my dad today and uh, – he told me that as a as a Mets fan growing up, you know, well he was he was an adult at this point, but in the eighties his favorite Met was Dallas Strawberry, who of course won the rookie of the year in eighty three. 
and, uh, you know, he helped lead the team. And, of course, like you said, Gary and Keith, who came in, you know, via trade in 85 and, you know, 84, respectively, um, you know, those guys came into the to the Mets organization. They really helped the team achieve heights that it has since failed to achieve again, sir. Yeah, and you're right. Drugs derailed that team. I mean, this team was so stacked with their bullpen. They won three or four in a row, sir, easily. Yeah, they they could definitely. That 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 game against uh, when Mike Sosha hit that home run in 88, that pretty much derailed that Mets team. You know, in 87, they didn't make the playoffs, but in 88, um, Oral Hershiser and Mike Sosha really did it to the Mets. And unfortunately, with the drugs and, and that one pitch that Dwight Gooden delivered to Mike Sosha, that unfortunately, yeah. you know, you know, spelled the demise of the Mets uh, and their their great run ended at one title. Yeah, it, it's just amazing. <laughs> it's amazing when you look at that, sir. That he could have easily, you know, led the Mets to more championships, and they really had the ability, sir, to make it. But uh, you know, the truth of the matter is that when you look at when you look at the team, it, it just it just became a mess, sir. It, they became an absolute mess, and. You know, we're going to have to pause on the Mets talk for a bit, and, of course, we can get back into sports a little bit later because we're joined by our second guest for the evening, sir, and we're we're very honored and privileged to have uh, Miss Raquel Beasley, who is, yes. uh, you know, Miss California, who was Miss California in USA in 2008. Raquel, how are you doing this evening on the lovely uh, West Coast? Oh, it is a beautiful evening, and I am well. I would like to say that I survived. I had my my five year old niece today, and we went ice skating, we went bowling, and we went swimming, and I survived. Wow! <laughs> wow, that's uh, that, that's quite a day in preparation for your big interview here on on Pure Gold. You really uh, you really had quite the afternoon. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Well, uh, you know that, that's some good stuff there, of course. And you know, I, I mentioned that you were Miss California in two thousand eight, but. You know, and of course, you were also preceded by another one of our past guests who was Megan Tandy. So, you know, I, I had to kind of throw that out there first. But there's actually, we'd like to talk to you about something different. Now, with all the Miss USA contestants and winners and, you know, uh, the, from the circuit, the girls that we've had on the show, we focus on the modeling. But with you, it's something different that I really find interesting. You know, we were just talking about baseball. We were talking about Gary Carter and, you know, all the things he did on the field for the Mets and, and all that, of course. And, and he was also a huge person in terms of uh, giving back to the fans and, and to the community and helping them out and, you know, doing uh, autograph signings and things like that. So you do something that fascinates me, uh, of course, and that is, uh, you know, you, you're involved in a couple of different organizations. First, tell us a little bit about Give Love Back, which is a, a nonprofit. Yeah, definitely. Well, I have been doing community service work since I was 13 years old. So for the past 12 years, I'm 25 now. And I started doing community service work before I even had a crown and a sash on my head. And when I found pageantry, it was almost, um, I like to say, because it's like, oh, I get to go on stage and compete for a crown and a sash and do community service work. That's a win-win situation for me. Um, so I was instantly hooked um, in pageantry. I competed for over 11 years, and um, community service came with it. And then when I gave up my title in 2008, um, I felt lost because pageantry was all that I've known for the past um, 11 years at that time and community service. And it was really um, a true testament um, and 
and glorifying God and, and doing what I feel like I was uh, called to do, and that is to be of service to others. So I, um, I actually co-founded Give Love Back with my now fiancé. We just got engaged in August, but we co-founded it oh, nice. um, in 2010. Yeah, <laughs> we, we co-founded it in 2010, and, and what it is, it's a nonprofit uh, geared towards low-income families. Um, I myself grew up in a low-income home, and um, Christmas uh, was few and far between for us in the, in the essence of, of gifting presents and having a good meal on the table. So um, what we do primarily is we ensure that low-income families have a good Christmas um, holiday. We not only gift them with toys, but we uh, provide them with a meal for um, a family of five. And it's wow. been incredible. We actually doubled our numbers from our first year. This past year, we fed over 1,500 families um, here in Orange County, California. And um, I can't tell you how amazing it was um, to be able to do that. We we, we partnered with uh, Cops for Kids here in Anaheim, and we had so many donations that we actually used Angel Stadium to wrap our presents in. Oh, wow. So, um, wow. It's in, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. So we've been doing that, and we had our, our first uh, official charity dinner last year, and we're gearing up actually for the Mud Run, which we did a Mud Run last year, um, and we're doing it again this year on the 31st, and we're really excited about that to raise money for charity. And um, we we keep ourselves very busy, but the holiday season is primarily our focus, and um, I feel it's been an absolute blessing to um, to work with these individuals. And I, I think it's actually mind-boggling for me because having been born and raised in California, um, I've always perceived Orange County as being um, the premier county to live in. And now that I do live here, now that I do reside here, um, it blows my mind that it's actually one of the um, the top uh, – and it's not even <laughs> – it's not like it's an award or anything, but it's one of the most impoverished communities in California, and I don't think that people understand that. Um, so my my heart is here, and um, we're, we're living in Anaheim, and we're doing the best that we can to serve the community here. Wow. 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 That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> that is amazing. Can you, can you tell us also about, can you also tell us something about, um, I'm reading my notes here, it says something about Deeper Diamonds that you started with yeah. Kristen Dalton. What's that about? Yeah. Well, on Twitter, our name is Deeper Diamonds, but our actual um, nonprofit name is Deeper Than Diamonds. And what it is, it's a woman initiative, um, woman empowerment initiative. Um, in pageantry, um, we are basically in the position to be women um, of substance. Uh, we are not only are we supposed to be beautiful um, at every event with a full face of makeup and a crown and a sparsely uh, sash and um, taking pictures with with individuals, but we are supposed to be women who have a good head on our shoulders. We're supposed to be well-educated, well-versed, well-read, and I'm, it's sad that uh, we are basically just judged from the cover. And what we wanted to do was ensure that there was an, an initiative that um, made it possible for other people to realize that the women in pageantry are women who are out to empower other women. We we definitely want to encourage them to, to know their self-worth, to 
seek higher education, to have great relationships with fellow, uh, not only beauty queens, but sisters in general, to have healthy relationships with male, um, in male relationships. And that's what we do. We're out to um, just be a place and for, for women to come and to get proper education and to know that um, it's actually admirable to be a strong woman these days and to be one who can have it all, one who can have a, a degree, have a family, have a great career, and, um, and then give back to your community, and one who, where you can say that she is a premier example of a woman, of a lady, and that's what we're out to do. And we're hoping to to align with the Miss Universe organization. We have a lot of things uh, that we have planned for this year, and we're at grassroots, but we've already had our first kickoff party where we actually donated um, tons of clothes. We called it uh, Out with the Old, In with the New. We had all of our uh, sister queens um, in pageantry clean out their closets, and I tell you, there was some good stuff in these closets. I mean, stuff that still have the tags on it. We had them clean out their <laughs> closets, and we donated it to the Mary Magdalene Project um, in L.A. So that was our first charity event, and we hope to do more. And we have a great following on Twitter. Within less than a year, we have about 7,000 followers, and that's amazing wow. for us. And That is amazing. Um, yeah, it's incredible. I, on my personal page, doesn't even have a thousand yet, and I'm thinking, wow, people are, are all about woman empowerment. And yeah, it's it's all about creating a healthy mind and a healthy woman. So that's what uh, that nonprofit is about. And Kristen Dalton is a former Miss USA, Miss USA 2009, and she's one yep. of the most incredible women that I know. And it's been an amazing experience uh, to develop this with her. Wow, I, I see that, and. I see you're so energetic and excited about it that you're just you're just you know pouring it all out <laughs> and talking so talking so much about it. Now you mentioned seven thousand followers. Uh, you know we're gonna need you to help us. Uh, you know get pure gold. Get a, get get a few more followers out there on Twitter. So uh, you know we'll save that of course for for after the show. But you know <laughs> you're a woman about town, and of course you started. Uh, you, you mentioned give love back, which fascinates me. You mentioned deep in the diamonds. Which also fascinates me because, of course, you know, uh, my, Joe and I both have, have, you know, a daughter. And, uh, you know, his daughter's three years old. My daughter is just four months old. But, uh, you know, we all the Miss USA w- women that we've had on, for the most part, actually they've, they've pretty much all been Christian uh, that I can think of. And, of course, we talk about how they're good examples and good role models, et cetera, et cetera, which, of course, as a, as a father of a young girl, that's what you want. Now, you also started something else with another one of our past guests, <laughs> Alicia Blanco, tell us a little bit about the pageant wave. I mean, you're involved in so many things, I don't even know how you keep it straight. But tell us about pageant wave a, a little bit. Yes, thank you so much for, for bringing all these up. I mean, I, I feel incredibly blessed to work with some amazing women. And Alicia Blanco is a former Miss um, Arizona USA. You guys know that she was uh, Miss Arizona in 2009. She actually competed against Kristen. Um, who I is part of Deeper Than Diamonds. It's just crazy. But anyways, um, enemies, Alicia and I, we had a, this vision um, to create a pageant consulting firm, um, one where we can match um, former Miss USA competitors with contestants, and that's essentially what we do. Um, if we have a girl come to us and they're looking for um, – some interview training, and they're competing for whether it be a USA pageant or our America pageant or a Teen America pageant, whatever that pageant is, we ensure that we match you with the right coach 
and um, one that we think would most benefit uh, most benefit her, if not us. So that's what we do, and and the packing wave has really taken off too. We had an incredible season last year. Um, I mean, just at Miss California USA, we had 14 girls competing there, and um, we've dabbled in Arizona. We've had a couple girls in New York. Uh, we were all the way in Texas and Florida. Um, and one in Missouri. I mean, we did. It was really good. And last year, we we started it last year, so we ended it on a high note, and we're really looking forward to this year and and having more coaches come in and more contestants seek help. I think that um, the best form of coaching is from uh, someone who's been in your shoes before and someone that you can relate to. And I think um, if if it's someone in California, then that's incredible. If you relate to, to a coach that's in Arizona, awesome. But we do our best to make sure that our clientele is happy and that they are giving the best coaching possible. Wow. Raquel, is it safe to say that the most rewarding part of being Miss USA was the uh, attention that it helped draw to your other pursuits outside of modeling? Um, I mean, just competing for Miss USA um, was incredible, and and I and I do think so. Like, it's been a great attention, um, and I've I've tried to use it in the most positive way possible. I grew up in a really small town, and like I mentioned earlier, one reason why I started to give love back is because I grew up in a low-income home, and it was really tough, and I feel like what motivates me to, to be a better individual and to want to start these nonprofits and to want to be involved in my community is because I had so many people telling me that I couldn't do it, and I... I'm a true testament that anything's possible. I'm I'm a firm believer that what you you think about, you bring about. And Miss USA has really helped me um, to bring more attention to what I think is most important. And again, it's all about glorifying God. And I feel like um, I this has been incredible. And if I could change one person's life um, from just doing the nonprofit work that I do, for me that's success. And at the end of the day, that I know that I'm doing something that glorifies God. Well, yeah. Speaking of God, uh, of course, you're a woman of faith. So tell us a little bit about how your faith has played a, a part in the different organizations you're involved with. I know you've touched a little bit on it briefly, but uh, tell us a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I I'm so excited. Actually, I'm celebrating my spiritual birthday on um, Monday, the 20th. I was baptized just last year by my best friend, my childhood best friend, and. I oh, wow. didn't grow up. Yeah, I didn't grow up where it was like, let's get baptized. We're going to go to church. It's what we do. I grew up in a working family where Sunday was just another day of work. And if we did go to church, that was awesome. But it wasn't something that the family did together. It was usually my mom and myself. Um, and it has been incredible to now be engaged to a man who is strong in faith as well. And I think. Um, like meeting him and knowing that God is the center of all relationships, um, I I feel like it's been the most amazing year, last two years of my life because God has been so strongly present and he plays in every situation for me. I have 100% given it all to him and I have full faith that 
he will lead me down a path that um, will not only glorify him, but one that he has walked before me and has prepared me for. Um, and that's oh, just, yeah, it's exciting. Definitely. It's exhilarating. And to think that <laughs> I get to celebrate my one-year spiritual birthday, I feel like I'm a child. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, my one year. I mean, for me, it's a huge celebration. It means so much to me. And I have a great group of friends in L.A., and just my good friend, Brittany Bell, who I, I think you guys are familiar with as well, as for yes. Miss Arizona, too. Awesome. She just celebrated her two-year spiritual birthday. So it's all wow. very exciting. I I'm, I have some amazing women who, um, you know, if we celebrate it, we, there's so much to celebrate. And we were actually we were just talking about that today where it's, like, overwhelming because there's so much to be celebrated. Um, and a number of them are bridesmaids in my upcoming wedding, and it's just it's just Ooh. all very exciting. <laughs> exciting, very exciting. When is that wedding, Raquel? Um, August 11th. Oh, perfect. Oh, perfect. We'll be there. Oh, you you oh, have well, just well, enough yeah. time to <laughs> <laughs> you have just enough time to mail us invitations. That that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm free that day. <laughs> yeah. There's enough I'll make time sure for you to plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's interesting is that. What's interesting is that I was actually baptized. I mean, it's been a long time for me. Uh, it's been about 16 years, and I was baptized August 2nd, 1996. So you know, about a week or so before your uh, your wedding. So that's definitely some uh, some good stuff there. And of course, we wish you. Good. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's a great month. We, of course, we wish you uh, we wish you much success in your in your upcoming marriage, and that's really really exciting. And you know, it's interesting is that we've had so many different guests uh, again from the Miss USA circuit. And like they're all friends with each other. That, that's what fascinates me. It's like you and Brittany, and then uh, you know Alicia and this friend Megan. Like every, Megan. everybody's friends with everybody. I think that's great. You're you're at each other's throats when it comes to the when it comes to the uh, actual pageant. But then of course you're all best friends afterwards. <laughs> now, can you yeah. tell us before we let you go, Raquel? Um, how can the fans keep in touch with you and uh, and find out what's going on with the 85 different organizations you're involved with? 86. I'm, I counted. All right, PG. Y'all are so sweet. This is so fun. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm on every social media. It's kind of embarrassing, but I'm on Facebook. I mean, ha- I mean, just forward slash Raquel Beasley. I'm very personal with my fans. I don't have one message unread in my inbox. I like to reply to everybody. So I'm on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter, again, just Raquel Beasley. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Pinterest. I'm on Instagram. Wow. I'm on Google Plus. I'm very, very accessible, and I mean, just all you have to do is give us a shout out. And we're also um, Give Love Back is on all of those as well, and so is the Pageant Wave and Deeper Than Diamonds. So, wait, we're hold on a second. If I'm not mistaken, I know we, we Joe and I said 86, but that sounds like about 40 different ways combined with everything <laughs> that you're involved in. How do you keep up with all that? I mean, do you, like, pay people to, to tweet for you? Or how is it possible that you have, you know, ten different social media networks for you know, all the four different things that you're involved with? Um, it's, it's definitely uh, orchestrating all of them and spending enough time on one. But I, really, I think that for what I do, it's important to stay, I guess, quote-unquote, hip in the, you know, in technology. So if something new comes up, I want to be a part of it. I, I feel like um, it, it makes it, it, make it, you know, easier to connect with your fans and people are like, oh, like, especially on Pinterest, like, oh, my goodness, like, 
they get to see your style and they, you know, they're repinning what you pinned and then you're repinning what they pinned. It's almost like a compliment and I just like it. And I really um, try not to spend that much time on social media and it's not that crazy. I'm not that in demand to be like, oh, like I'm not going to pay attention to fans or friends or family <laughs> or whatnot. Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm really not. But So wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. So you're saying that if you were that in demand that you wouldn't pay attention to the fans? Is that what I'm hearing? No, absolutely not I would make more time I would spend more time on social media but it's an important role in my work I if if I had if I honestly had 25 inboxes I would reply to all 25 inboxes because I I will lose sleep over it I'm like oh my gosh that girl she wrote me I gotta write her back wait how do you find time how do you find time for your fiance that's what I want to know I mean this sounds like like you have I mean do you ever see the guy or is he just sitting there tweeting it up with you yeah no, no, he's right there tweeting and Facebooking too. Actually, I we have a great, healthy and balanced relationship, and I think it's important because you know what I do. Like my New Year's resolution actually um, was to read his word first, so God's word, obviously, to read his right, word right, right. first before I um, crack open social media. And it's I think that that's a challenge for everybody because. I think that when someone grabs their phone in the morning and they see a text message or they see a direct message on Twitter um, or whatever it may be, they instantly go to it. But if you just put that aside and read his word first and you pray, you know, um, that he'll be with you throughout the entire day and all that good stuff, I think it's important that you orchestrate your life that way. You have to um, – you can't make time for God. Like he has to be the first person you want to talk to, the first person that you want to say what's up to and, and give all your right. glory to. And then it's like, oh, hey, Sam. Like, and, you know, it's, I think it's really important. It's, it has to all be yeah. organized. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, I, I agree with you on that. And, of course, my wife says that I, I should go to Twitter uh, – Twitter Anonymous or something because uh, you know she thinks I'm obsessed with it. I don't even have almost a thousand fans like you, but again, that, that's besides the point. Raquel, you know we really appreciate you giving us some time. Of course, you're out there on the left coast, so thank you so much for joining us and telling us about the seven thousand different uh, ways to get in touch with you and all the different. So you should actually start your own social media network because you're involved with so many other ones. I think you should just start a new one that that we can get a part of that also. But yeah, uh, keep doing but, that because now I, you have my mind thinking and my wheels are spinning. You don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Raquel, you've been—it's been a pleasure talking to you. You're, you're definitely one of our—I mean, all the girls are nice, but you're definitely one of the one of the nicer ones. So, uh, thank you so much for for giving us a few minutes. And of course, when you talk to Alicia, tell her that you're the you're our favorite now, not her. So she's gonna be upset about oh. that. <laughs> Thank you, and I want to just honestly thank you so much for reaching out to myself and and to all of us. You know, we I I, th- I hope that you realize that we are pretty um, accessible through social media. And if you if you need anything from us at all, like we'll we'll definitely give you a shout out. And it's been a, a pleasure. I thank you so much for giving me the chance to talk about the amazing things in my life that I've been so blessed to be a part of. And um, I hope to be on here again and. Well, remember, you know, you're going to be live, you're going to be live on, on uh, April, uh, sorry, August 11th. We're going to be live at your wedding, you know, covering that. So we can interview you before the, before the big uh, moment, of course, uh, you know, we'll just expect our, uh, (laughs) we'll just expect the invitations in the mail. (laughs) I love it. All right, Raquel, take care. Have, Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. 
folks, as the one and only Miss California USA 2008, uh, Raquel Beasley, who is also the co-founder of uh, Give Love Back, which is a nonprofit. She's also the co-founder of Deeper Than Diamond. She's also the co-founder of uh, Pageant Wave with Alicia Blanco, and I think she's also the co-founder of Pure Gold. Uh, I could be mistaken on that, sir. Um, I believe I'm looking through my notes. Yes, she is the co-founder of Pure Gold as well. <laughs> wow, well, what an interview, sir. She was so energetic and so just uh, full of life, which is always a great... I can see why her and Alicia are friends, uh, by the way, because they, they, they both love to just uh, you know chat and, and share what's on their minds and their hearts. Of course, we've been through so many different things here today. We talked baseball. We talked, uh, you know, nonprofits. We talked uh, women's self-esteem. I mean, so many things, sir. Gary Carter. Now, uh, as as we, uh, you know, re- head towards the, the close of the show, there's a couple of other things that I'd like to touch on. And, um, again, I don't know how – there's no way to segue from that. And I guess, it, you know, we could talk about wrestling. But one thing I wanted to touch on is, is uh, something sad, unfortunately, before we close, is uh, Whitney Houston, sir. Um any thoughts on that? I mean, I know she died. Uh, she passed away last week, unfortunately. You were actually the one who told me that she passed away when you texted me on Saturday. I was just blown away by that, sir. And, you know, 48 years old, also very young, much different than the whole Gary Carter situation because of how she died. But uh, give us your thoughts on that, sir. I mean, when I heard the news, because I got a text from my friend, um, I went right onto Twitter, and then all of a sudden it just blew up. I mean, uh, everyone started talking about it. And I just, you know, I, I, Whitney Houston is one of those artists that to me never made a bad song and um to me she's probably the the, the best voice of uh of my generation i can't think of a, a better voice than than hers you know and um i think of all the songs that she's had obviously the the one from the bodyguard um everyone loves the way she sang that she, the way she sang the national anthem at the 1991 super bowl uh super bowl 25 um just a, you know it's somebody that you always wanted her to overcome her addictions and her her alcohol and drugs because she was a a good person and maybe it's being biased that she's from Newark and from New Jersey and that's where we're from uh but the fact that you know she she seemed like to be a really genuine person and a lot of people talked nice things about her the people that knew her more than we did as fans but she's definitely going to be missed it's just a sad sad day when i found out about Saturday last Saturday and uh, like i said um her voice is just, you know, so amazing, and it's going to be so missed, and just the person, and it's just a tragic loss, just like Gary Carter, sir. Yeah, and it's it's a shame. You know, I know there's so many people out there who've made comments and made mention of the fact that, you know, someone like Whitney Houston, who was unfortunately into drugs, um, you know, and that seems to be how she died, but the toxicology reports and everything haven't been released yet. Uh, who took a very unfortunate and tragic turn in her life of a woman with so much talent and so much God-given ability. And there's people out there who will get upset that the uh, our troops don't get the attention that these, these uh, celebrities get. And, you know, uh, Governor Christie wanted to, I don't know if he did or not, but he wanted to fly the flags at a uh, half-staff for Whitney passing away. And, of course, uh, my good friend who was uh, ex-Marine, you know, was upset with that because, uh, you know, again, all the attention she's getting and where's the attention for our troops who give their lives and who really do do something meaningful. So, of course, I have to throw that out there. And we salute all the men and women of the armed forces, those past and present who've, who've given either of their lives or of their time, limbs. They've given up everything, you know, to serve this great country. And obviously what they do is far more important than what a Whitney Houston or even a Gary Carter does. And, unfortunately, they don't get the recognition that they deserve, sir. Well, I mean, if you if you think of Gary Carter and Whitney Houston in terms of just people that 
um, are looked up to either, you know, if you're in the music business and you look up to, like, and Mariah Carey looked up to her and a couple of, you know, other right. famous artists. I mean, she did serve um, a, a higher role in that regard because people did respect her. They wanted to imitate her, and imitation is the best form of flattery. Uh, Gary Carter, stand-up guy, great professional. So, yeah, I mean, I know that they're they're uh, in the limelight, or you know, you know, they're stars in terms of like everyone knowing them. But they're they're human, just like everyone else. Obviously, definitely, maybe, and uh, they'll definitely be missed. Yeah, absolutely, sir. Um, you know, but unfortunately, uh, Whitney died far too young, as did Gary Carter, and so many different things, so many different you know ways that we can discuss it, sir. But uh, you know, let's move on from this for a minute so that we can talk about some uh, some wrestling uh, as we, as we close out the show here. There's a couple of different things. Actually, you know what? Let me backpedal a second before we get into wrestling. Let's talk a little Nick. Let's talk a little Jeremy Lin. Let's talk a little Lin Sanity, sir. Give me your thoughts. I mean, what is there to say? I mean, this guy has come out of nowhere to be the point guard of the New York Knicks, and you know, nobody but nobody expected to see what Jeremy Lin has produced, and now it's just gotten ridiculous. We talked about this a little bit at the production meeting today, but, I mean, give the guy a season, give the guy half a season at the very least to see what this guy could do. All of a sudden, this guy is like the greatest thing since sliced bread, and I'm not trying to take anything away from him. Yeah, he's had a great couple games so far, but uh, let's let's see what this kid to, to, could do, you know, to finish out the season. Let's see what he could do in a full season next year. I mean, this guy's they're, they're ready to make this guy the next John Stockton, sir. Um, and I'm not saying that because I'm a Nick hater. I'm just saying, can we just be a little bit more realistic about the situation? I mean, everybody's talking about him. Not not only uh, Nick fans, not only basketball fans, but now you got President Obama talking about Jeremy oh, Lin. Please. I mean, everybody's talking about Jeremy Lin. I, I you know. It's a great story, but, you know, I think we should take it down a notch. Yeah, you're right, but, um, I mean, you think this is going to hold out, sir? I I don't know, honestly. I think that um, teams could adapt. I mean, once you start seeing footage on him, you can see that he cannot drive to the basket going to the left. He always goes to the right, and uh, that's something that I've noticed about him. So, I mean, teams are going to catch up to him. It's a like I said, it's a great story, and and you know for the Knicks and and for you as a Knicks fan, I I hope he is a good point guard or a really good point guard because with him and Carmelo and Amari, hopefully that team right there can contend for a title. I mean they're that good this year if they if they all mesh together, and that that's a big if I guess because Carmelo hasn't played okay. with with him yet, so that's remained to be seen. But um you know, good for the Knicks, good for the NBA, and good for Jeremy Lin. For you know a guy that nobody knew about, nobody even thought that this guy could play in the basketball in the NBA, is now making a name for himself, and everybody know, now knows about him. You're right about that, sir. And it's interesting because when you look at this whole situation with uh, Jeremy Lin, you know, I was, I was listening to the morning show this morning, you know, flipping back and forth between Sirius and WFAN, and they they had a guy, some some tool who spent a thousand dollars on a. a uh, Jeremy Lin rookie card and was saying how it, it could possibly be worth twenty five to fifty thousand dollars, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm thinking, really, let's calm down a little bit. And you know, this is a rookie card. Uh, I think there's only twenty five releases that he had signed. And this guy was saying that the rookie card was worth so much more because uh, it's number seventeen in the set. And I'm thinking, uh, seriously, number seventeen? <laughs> um, okay, so that's worth more than number one. <laughs> 
are number like there's only 25 cards. How it, because he's number 17, it's worth more. I'm thinking this guy's an absolute fool. And if if I'm not mistaken, he mentioned something about how maybe worth like up in the neighborhood of Honus Wagner. That Honus Wagner rookie card is the most is the rarest card in the history of mankind. Literally, uh, the only thing that would that would probably uh, compete would be like a you know Jesus rookie card or something if they had those <laughs> back then. Sir, I just don't even understand what this guy's smoking or what he's on. But I mean, hey, more power to him if he, if he makes some money off of that. But uh, seriously, I don't know. Uh, people need to calm down a little bit. Twenty-five to fifty thousand. I mean, this guy can go and stake for the next ten games, and then there goes that money, and you're out a thousand dollars. You're you're right. I mean, I'm, all I'm saying too, like I'm agreeing with you. All I'm saying is that give the kid more than just six or seven games to see what he's at. I mean, everyone. I mean, he 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 did make a game-winning shot against the Toronto Raptors. This, the you know the game was tied. He had a game, uh, game-winning three-pointer with about five tenths of a second, and yeah, that adds to the lore too, obviously. But um, again, it's only been six, seven games. I mean, can we just see how this kid finishes out the season? And the truth is, this guy's the next Tim Tebow. And of course, what Tebow did was more impressive to me because football is such a short span of games. Right. Jeremy Lin is playing, and you know, you're talking 66 games this year and this season versus uh, the normal 80, 82, but still a lot of games. So you know, a seven game stretch in football doesn't carry the set, uh, carries way more weight than a seven game stretch does in, in uh, basketball. But sir, I find the whole thing to be fascinating. Of course, he's a Christian, also like Tebow, so that's another thing. I just, you know, I think it's pretty cool that everybody's getting into the whole all-in. You know, of course, with uh, John Paul Gonzalez and his all-in. Now it's all-in, which of course is fascinating. Uh, you talked about the Knicks. You talked about them uh, hopefully improving, and hopefully when Carmelo comes back soon, uh, they'll they'll gel and they'll mess together, which of course you want with Tyson Chandler. And uh, the Knicks have made quite a few improvements. Baron Davis. See, the thing that worries me is when Baron Davis comes back off off uh, being injured, uh, you know he's gonna he's gonna take time away from uh, Mr. Lynn. So we'll kind of see how that goes. But I'm not getting all my hopes up and going nuts. The Knicks also signed uh, made an acquisition today, sir. They signed J.R. Smith, who was playing in uh, in uh, China, and his team's out of the playoffs. So now he was able to sign, and he's back with the Knicks. So uh, give me your thoughts on that, sir. I mean, he's a, a veteran player. I think he's going to add some, you know, uh, add to the bench. That the, the right now, I think the, the the Knicks bench is not too great. So I think J.R. Smith will do a decent job off the bench. Hopefully, you know, he brings some energy uh, because I think that the Knicks right now lack a bench right now. So hopefully that happens. But if anything, sir, I mean, this Jeremy Lin store, hopefully it it carries us through the, you know, until like, you know, all the way up until like May or June because. You know, I don't think me and you want to be discussing wrestling and baseball all the time. Maybe we can actually discuss Nick playoff basketball, which would be a refreshing, you know, idea in this in this area because, you know, Nick's got swept last year by the Celtics, but uh, this year they they have the potential to go uh, a little bit further. I think. I I hope so, sir. I mean, as long as they don't run into the buzzsaw, I'm hoping that they uh, they're able to make it happen because truthfully. Sir, what's interesting, and this is a, this is a nice little segue to our next part of this whole conversation, sir. Um, you know, the Knicks being so good right now, the Rangers being so good, and yet there's this entire Time Warner MSG debacle. Touch on that, sir. Oh, I mean, I don't have to touch on upon it, other than the fact that uh, I I loved, and it was definitely pure gold to hear Mike Francesa have a representative from Time Warner on. Uh, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday, yeah. And then a representative from MSG an hour later, um, the one guy came actually in studio to talk to Mike and the Time Warner guy did it over the, over the phone. But 
Um, what you got from this whole like Mike trying to be the voice of the people was that you know you don't know who to believe. You don't know whether it's and it's, sometimes they're both at fault. Obviously, definitely maybe. But um, you know you hear about like one offered six percent increase and then they came back with a fifty three percent increase. The other party saying we never heard of what this fifty three percent is about. So the only person that really suffers are the are the customers and the fans, and those are people that hopefully will have other options sooner than later because you know they don't need to be in this mess. They need options and need they need like you know I have files for example. You need options so that you could just say you, you know what screw you. I what have I have files. I think I think you had a different uh, I thought you had a different one. Didn't you have a uh, Oh, not what's the other one? It's not it's not Time Warner. Uh, what's the other one? Not sir? Comcast. You talking about Comcast? Comcast. I thought you had Comcast. Yeah. No, but I I I've I've switched to the triple play at least a year over uh, a year now. And how do you like the Verizon files? I mean, I have no problems with it. I think the it might be a little high in price. I know that I'm paying roughly I think 140 a month for all three. Oh, yeah, hey man, you make all the big bucks. You're the, you're truly the Mike Francesa of this team, so uh, I'm I'm happy for you to. <laughs> Make that kind of money, sir. Thank you. But um, did I mean you got to hear just the MSG side of the story? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I, I, unfortunately, there, there was some there was some issue going on with the uh, WFAN audio today, and I wasn't able to hear uh, the the issue on, on from the behalf of Time Warner. And sir, it's like you mentioned. It's like we talked about off the air. I mean, you don't know who to believe. Everybody's lying. The MSG guy said basically everything the Time Warner guy said was a lie. It was wrong. And the Time right. Warner said everything that the MSG guy said is wrong. So I mean, you don't know who to believe. And both sides are lying. And it's unfortunate, but it kind of falls on the onus falls on the cable provider because they're the ones who are going to get uh, you know hosed by the fans. Now you touched on something that I found fascinating. Tell me a little bit about this whole thing that the guy spoke with Mike uh, and I forget his name right now. Um, that they that there was going to be no refund for the fans of, uh, who were paying. <laughs> well, Mike asked the question. So, um, since you're not providing MSG to your you know your customers, what kind of rebate are you providing them? And the gentleman, and again, I don't remember his name either. I don't know if it was Tim or Timothy. Maybe it was something like that. But anyway, he was he kept avoiding the question, and he kept saying, "Well, we are providing um, our our customers." the NBA pass package, which is like six NBA games a night. Um, and Mike kept saying, well, again, if these are Knicks fans that want to see the Knicks, what are they going to do with this NBA pass that you provide them? Right. Why Why are you providing that to them when they all they want is to see the Knicks play basketball? So what kind of rebate are you providing them? And it got to the point where Mike had to ask the question three times before he said that, you know, he finally admitted that we're not giving them rebates. And that's where Mike lost it. He actually said, if you're not giving them rebates for a channel that they don't have, then when you add another channel, does that mean you're not going to charge them? And he was like, no, we're going to charge them. And Mike almost, I, I could tell you that Mike's blood pressure was through the roof at that point. I think Mike, <laughs> if, if he had a chance to choke out the guy, he would have choked out the guy. He's like, what do you mean I'm gonna, uh, you're going to charge people for a new channel? If you're not giving them a rebate for a channel that you're not providing them, how can you charge them for a new channel? And the guy just, you know, obviously – Weaseled his way out of that question too, and and you know Mike just at that point I'm sure Mike was like, all right, get this guy off because I'm about to kill him. Get him the hell out! Get exactly. him the hell out! Yeah, I'm sure Mike right. was going nuts, and of course that, that's what makes good radio, sir. But uh, it's a mess. Time Warner needs to fix this. MSG needs to fix this, and they need to get the fans what they want to see, what they paid to see. I think it's a disgrace that the fans are paying money and they're not going to get reimbursed because they're not getting what they paid for, and they can all go you know where because they can rot and they're all making this money. I remember there was a debacle a couple of years ago with Fox and uh, you know uh, Cablevision, and I'm thinking, 
you know, if I was if I was Verizon, I would have gone that weekend when the Yankees were in the playoffs. I would have gone and said, listen, I'm going to offer 10% off, 20% off, whatever the case is, to get those Cablevision customers on my side for that week. And when they weren't going to get to the Yankees baseball, I would have thrown promotions. I would have gone to the bars. I would have done whatever I had to, sign people up, give them a discount, take some of the clients away. And that's how you got to do it, sir. That's the way a shrewd businessman would handle it. But let's move on from that. We have a couple of notes here with wrestling before we close out the show as we're you know rapidly approaching. Sir, Elimination Chambers on Sunday. Randy Orton has been replaced by Santino. What in the hell happened there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you said best uh, at our production meeting. I mean, why isn't Mark Henry actually in that match? Uh, I read that it's probably because of the fact that he's still, they want to give him some time to recoup. But sir, they could have put anybody in that spot. Santino, of all people, you're telling me that Santino Morello was your best choice? It goes to show you that, I mean, the WWE is so naive or so conceited or cocky that they're like, well, we're still going to get people to buy the pay-per-view, so let's just put Santino in there for, you know, for giggles. I don't want to say the other word, but um, because... That's a a horrible choice. I don't even know how how the WWE can justify that. I mean, truthfully, Christian's not back. That would be a spot that he would belong in, but, hell, have anybody... I mean, I'm hoping that somebody will weasel their way into that mess at the last minute. Because that's a joke. If anybody does not need to be in that, sir, what will be interesting, what I would find interesting, sir, uh, is if somebody like uh, Sheamus somehow weaseled his way in there and won the title at Elimination Chamber and, of course, didn't need to use his WrestleMania title shot, which would be fascinating to me, sir. Um, But, uh, I mean, the the rosters are so thin that this is the type of garbage that we get. You have Great Khali and you have Santino. I mean, that's an absolute joke, sir. You're you're absolutely right. So, I mean, logic speaks, and, you know, we always know that the WWE is not all about logic, but is it safe to say that Pure Gold is going to go on record uh, to make our predictions and just say that Chris Jericho has to win his match at the Elimination Chamber to go on to WrestleMania because it makes no sense because you want to see a CM Punk versus Jericho um, at WrestleMania, so it makes no sense if, if Jericho lost and how would he ever get a rematch at WrestleMania. So we would pick Jericho and pick Daniel Bryan to retain at SmackDown? Sir, uh, Daniel Bryan has to retain. Look at the people he's going up against. He's going up against Santino. He's going up against the great Kali. The Big <laughs> Show, who, of course, Big Show's legit. Wade Barrett, who's up and coming. Cody ba- uh, Rose, who's up and coming. But these aren't, these aren't main event guys yet, sir. I mean, well, me... the only one. I mean, the absolute only one who can sit there and, and lay claim is Big Show, and he's not winning the, the title. So you got to have just... Daniel Bryan walk out of the chamber. Right. I was just going to say, let me ask you this. If Randy Orton's not ready to go and they need to change up things, what do you think about at WrestleMania, like a Wade Barrett versus Sheamus for the title? Uh, that would be interesting, but I think Daniel Bryan deserves to have that WrestleMania moment. Sir, honestly, what they should have done would have been more legit than Santino. They should have just, if they're this desperate, sir, Booker T can wrestle. Booker T has been wrestling. Why not throw him in there, get Booker T on the, in, in that last slot, sir? You know, if anything, get Booker T, win the the uh, Battle Royal that's going to be on SmackDown, which was already announced on, on WWE.com, by the way. It was already announced that Santino's in it, which is ridiculous to me. But, uh, sir, I mean, why didn't they go that route? I, I don't know. I mean, um, Santino obviously doesn't deserve... Sir, I'm looking at the SmackDown do. roster. It, it It is so bad, it's not even funny. Booker T was by far your best choice. They should have thrown him in there. I mean... These rosters are, are so weak and so terrible. It, it's it's actually a joke. 
You know what the weird part is that you tell me that that the roster is so bad on SmackDown, but you tell me also that SmackDown has the better show. So how does that work? Well, I mean, it's better quality writing. It's just done, you know, a much better job uh, in terms of of the production of it. But um, yeah, I mean, the roster is terrible. There's no doubt about that. So they should have hell. They should have had uh, somebody, you know, transfer over from Raw or do something to the point where you can get these guys on there because. Sir, they need to bring up FCW guys. They need to make main eventers. They need to change things up because this is such a, a, a terrible mix. It just it makes me sad to to look at this roster, sir. But uh, you know, as we as we close out here, you talk about writing. I'm going to touch on one thing in a minute. But one last WWE point: WrestleMania 29, sir, officially announced. It is coming to New Jersey, sir. It is coming to MetLife Stadium. How about that? Was that April 7th? You said. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a little bit later than usual, but yeah, it's going to be April 7th. I mean, give me your thoughts on that, sir. I mean, it's it's pretty funny how, um, you know, we're 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 rapidly approaching WrestleMania 28, which is, you know, Rock Cena build-up, and already we have the announcement of, of WrestleMania 29 being New Jersey, um, and it's an outdoor arena. It's where the Giants and Jets play. Well, let's face it, it's Giants Stadium. It's where the Giants play. Um <laughs> We're going to have WrestleMania 29 in New Jersey. The only thing I could say that I'm happy about is that the fact that we have a chance to actually go to it um, and sit wherever and just say we're we're part of WrestleMania. The other aspect of it is that April is, you know, a tricky month. I mean, you have April showers. You can still get a snowstorm here or there. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see um, a wrestling pay-per-view, the biggest wrestling pay-per-view of the year, in a somewhat – I mean, you can pretty much guarantee it's going to be colder than any other WrestleMania in history. You're right, and I mean, we're again, we're hoping that it'll be nice 70 degree weather, hopefully, because sometimes in April you can get that, or you can also get snowstorms. Like, I remember one year Andy Pettit was pitching on the mound opening day, April 1st, and it's, you know, snowing, so, I mean, who knows about that, so hopefully that, that'll pan out, and of course, we want to make a Pure Gold exclusive remote live show from WrestleMania. Sarah, we've never been to WrestleMania, we have to go, we need to go, we'll make it happen. Maybe we'll get to give love back and uh, deeper than diamonds in the pageant. We have to sponsor us so we can go. Yeah, you know what the great thing is? Is I mean, not the great thing is I don't want to you know take um, your 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 information away from you. So why don't you just uh, let the audience know because you're the one that told me. Why don't you tell us why uh, MetLife Stadium was picked for next year? Well, Vince, in his infinite wisdom, wanted to, uh, or should I say, finite wisdom, wanted <laughs> to uh, beat the NFL beat everyone. You know, there's going to be the uh, the All-Star Game, the Pro Bowl, whatever the case is, Super Bowl, I mean, you know, the World Series. Next right. year, 2014, uh, oh, I'm sorry, not next year, 2014 is going to be at MetLife Stadium, the, the the Super Bowl, which, of course, is going to be cold as anything. But Vince wanted to beat them, sir, by having WrestleMania there next year. I mean, <laughs> only Vince McMahon, sir. Only Vince McMahon, the competitive guy that he is, had to beat the NFL. And, uh, yeah, you succeed, Vince, but let's see uh, what kind of weather you're going to get. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes, sir. Like I mentioned earlier, you talk about um, you talk about writing and all that. Uh, tonight on Impact, you had Brandon Jacobs who showed up. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't able to watch that, of course, because he was doing the show. But, sir, on some more important news here, Vince Russo was finally fired by TNA, and he was replaced by ECW, former ECW writer, the WWE version of ECW, Mr. Dave Lagano of I Want Wrestling. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I found, I, heard, I read about that, too, that, you know, finally Russo has been fired. And um, I, I, honestly, I don't know how much of an impact, 
quote unquote or a, a pun, how much of an impact that's going to have on TNA? Because you know everyone knows that Bischoff and and, um, and Hogan and even Flair to an extent are are you know soaking or sapping the energy right out of that company. And maybe Vince maybe Vince had a big part of that, but you know. And Hogan doesn't seem to be on TV as much anymore, but now he's just showed his face again recently. I, I just think with those people, um, you might have gotten rid of Vince Russo, but until you get rid of like people like Over the Hill, Hulk Hogan, and, and Eric Bischoff, I don't think the company will ever be able to turn the page and compete with the WWE. I, I agree with that, sir, but hopefully you know, Dave Lagan will be able to break some more wrestling, some more you know, validity to impact and make it interesting and, and something that's not a joke anymore. I mean, I've heard that it's getting better, but with Russo being gone, it's only going to get much better. And like you said, hopefully Bischoff and Hogan will be soon to follow. But, sir, that right. puts a wrap on our show this evening. Another amazing show, of course, we thank uh, the one and only Michael Fulmer, featured New York Met Ace. We thank him so much for joining us. And, of course, we thank Raquel Beasley for joining us. Um, you know, she was a wonderful guest, both amazing, and we just thanked them for the time and, and their courtesy. Uh, of course, all the different topics we discuss, folks, we thank you for listening. This is definitely one of our more interesting PG shows, and they just keep getting better. Make sure you tune in next Tuesday when we're back at our regularly scheduled time, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be joined by two different guests as well. We'll be joined by Lisa Marie Latino of Long Shot Productions. She is uh, definitely a good contact for us and somebody who's in the know when it comes to media, when it comes to uh, things going on with her company and interviewing uh, so many different people for the likes of the the cast of uh, the Hit USA show, White Collar. She interviewed Tiki Barber. She's been there, done that. She knows all different sports you know, media outlets and different uh, people. She was at the Super Bowl. I mean, this is an overall big-time Giants fan and a big-time media person, so we're going to have her. We're also going to have an MMA fighter in training, uh, you know, wrestler in training, actress, uh, Francesca Zapatelli is also going to be joining us, so it's going to be an exciting show. Make sure you tune in Tuesday, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Once again, thank you to our guests. Thank you to you, the listening audience. Make sure you follow us, puregoldpg.com. For JB, this is DG of Pure Gold reminding you to always keep it PG. What's the name of your show? Uh, Pure Gold. Pure Gold? Yes, sir. I got two words for you. Pure <laughs> Gold. Good night, everyone.